Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a Thursday, May 19th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, it is early, early, early that I'm taping this uh, intro for hour one here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. And I say hour one because uh, something that will change that I'm going to continue to figure stuff out. And I was thinking about this during my uh, couple days away this week uh, as I was wrapping up graduate school and uh, this semester here at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. One semester to go. So uh, very excited about that this fall to wrap up and uh, complete my master's here at UT. But um, it was just a lot. So I had I was I was inundated with um, school stuff over the last couple of days. So I apologize on uh, having to take a few personal days uh, away from the podcast so that I could take care of my school duties. So there you go. But uh, taping this super early on this Thursday, May 19th edition. But as I was saying with calling this hour one, uh, this is not a radio show. However, this is a program that I have a multitude of guests, uh, generally speaking, every single day uh, during the week. So I want to kind of break these up, um, these episodes up, so they're not like just super long, uh, the two, two and a half hour, even sometimes close to three uh, hour podcasts um, during the week. So just split them up um, and make it easier for you guys to have have them split up by the hour. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so for hour one here on the Chase Notes podcast to kick things off, uh, former University of Georgia uh, and former Indiana University and former uh, Marquette University head basketball coach Tom Crean joins the program. Very excited to have Tom on this morning, and I think you guys will very much enjoy uh, our conversation. It was it was so much fun to uh, speak with Tom and uh, just learned a lot about the game, about where college sports is going. And he was just so gracious um, with his time and talking about UGA, Anthony Edwards, NIL, uh, his coaching future, three-point shooting in the college game, just all kinds of great stuff with Tom. So thank you uh, again to him for coming on this edition of the podcast, our one here on the Chase Most Podcast. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can uh, listen to this very program on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, just make sure you subscribe and never miss uh, an episode and uh, all that good stuff there. We're also on YouTube, so you can watch all of these interviews. You can watch all of our clips, all kinds of great content over on the YouTube page, youtube.com. Type in the Chase Most Podcast. You'll find us there. Um, and then, of course, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you have not already done so, make sure you hit that pause button and leave this show a five-star rating and a review. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this show continue to grow. And then, of course, you can read me at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Again, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. And you can also email this very program. Uh, email me uh, with any questions, mailbag stuff, uh, anything of the matter uh, about the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer. All right, hour one here on the Chase Thomas Podcast with former University of Georgia um, and Indiana University head coach, Tom Crean. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, here we are back on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am now joined by legendary college basketball coach, Mister Tom Crean. Tom, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good, Chase. Thanks for having me. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great, great job. So it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Um, I saw Diet Coke. Are you not a coffee guy? Are you a? Are you? A I've soda? already had that. Yeah, I've had the coffee right there. Okay. I'll have another one a little bit later. What is so. your intake like? Are you on the Dan Campbell Detroit Lions level, where you're just doing the double espresso, extra venti caffeine intake, or what's no, your caffeine intake? I'm too basic. I'm. Uh, I'm too. I've only had Starbucks once since the end of October. Uh, uh-huh. Pete's coffee. One to two a day, been mm. down to one this week. Okay. Uh, maybe two Diet Cokes and Celsius. That's the new thing. I like Celsius. My daughter, hmm. uh, Megan, got me hooked on that. My daughter, Ainsley, and Megan are both drinking a Celsius, so I'm drinking a Celsius. There you go. I'm I like cut, it. I'm so- cutting my intake. I'm cutting my intake a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, 
I want to start off, Coach. I just want to ask you, like, how how are you doing? Like, with this time off and with the time away, what uh, what have you found yourself doing? Where are you at um, with everything? Well, I think you know I got to fight boredom. I, I I can't stand not. I can't stand being idle. Mm. I really can't. My family can't stand me being idle. I know that. So. <laughs> Uh, my wife would probably pay me to take a job right now, but, <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm just trying to learn. I mean, I really am. I'm trying to stay busy, uh, see some workouts, uh, here and there, you know, some pre-draft workouts, uh, obviously watch the playoffs. I've been to a couple of playoff games, been to G league games before, um, recruiting, going to different events and, and watching, uh, the events I was in Atlanta this past weekend at uh, Hoop Scene and Justin Young ran the Bob Gibbons Tournament of Champions. I was there for a day. That was good. I'll go this weekend uh, and see some actions and or see some see some tournaments in action. Um, studying. I bought Sports Code. I have Synergy. I'm uh, building edits. Mm. I think the most important thing you can do is not only keep learning but stay prepared. Right. Oh. And because I'm in no rush, because I'm in. Uh, because I'm in a place where I want to learn and, and 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 keep applying things and be very very careful about what I do next, uh, I think it's a good place to be. So bored as I get, I'm not in a bad place and and working out a lot and uh, just picking up as much as I can. Did you give yourself at least some time to take a step back and kind of recharge your batteries before you dove right back into film watching and going to camps and stuff like that? No, I don't think so. I, I a little bit, but it's. Um, a little bit, but I don't think I'm not wired like that, right? Hmm. Like if, if I'm, if if I'm not, I, I'm a, I, I feel good when I'm watching film, you yeah. know, watching basketball, watching games, but it's it's not enough for me just to watch it. Like I got to get something right. Like I want to be able to build and edit. I want to be able to take the notes, things like that. So no, I live in Athens, Georgia. We're moving back to our home in in uh, Lakewood Ranch, Florida. Those are great areas. Hmm. Get outside. Weather's great. I don't need a lot of time to decompress. I didn't need that. I just need, uh, uh, you learn, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. just keep learning and you keep making sure that that what you would do differently next time that you keep getting yourself in position to do that, even with that being so different now because college basketball is so different now because not only the portal in the NIL, but because, you know, this is the first spring and three springs that kids have been able to be on campus. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't get that the last two springs and we didn't get NIL you know, to, to be able to recruit to, we didn't have that. And, and, uh, the people that have that now they're at an advantage. So I just want to make sure that, uh, if, and when we do go back, that we're ready for those situations. So how much of a whirlwind has it really been for you as a college basketball coach to have been in the sport for so long to just see the, the windfall of changes that happened so rapidly, how much did that like affect what was going on in Georgia? Well, well, it's, it's all different at Georgia, right? Mm. Because we were we, we we had Anthony Edwards, we'd beaten Ole Miss uh, in the conference tournament, and all of a sudden COVID hit. Mm. And that spring, right, everybody's gone. We didn't really get to recruit to uh, having a kid like Anthony Edwards. It was the number one pick in the draft. We weren't able to have anybody on campus. We got our workouts started late. Mm. We went a full year with, with uh, uh, you know, the sparse crowds like everybody else did. I think when you go through recruiting cycles where you don't have people on your campus, mm-hmm. it affects you. Then obviously last year we had a lot of guys go into the portal mm-hmm. and, and that really affected us because we were able to replace them, but you can't replace the experience of being in your program. And I think it, th- that is such a big thing. It, it doesn't matter how much you utilize the portal, how many new players you have. If you don't have experienced guys in your program that have been through it with you, Mm-hmm. And it can help the younger players, the new players, even the, the the guys that come in from the portal that are older to help them understand. If you don't have leadership in your program that now you can build new leaders as they come in, but you already have to have some leadership, you're at a real disadvantage. And that definitely hurt us this past year. And I think it's going to be some, become something that you're going to have to be able to work inside of more and more. But it's really, really hard uh, in our situation, we had one veteran player, P.J. Horn, who was our leading returning scorer, and he didn't play all year because he tore mm-hmm. his ACL in preseason. And then our top leader, our best player, Jalen Ingram, we beat Memphis uh, less than a week la- – or about a week later, we're playing Jacksonville. He tears his ACL inside mm-hmm. of the first half uh, of the game. We didn't have him the rest of the year. So right off the bat, we're playing with two out of our three best players all year. 
well, you know what? We didn't have that experience. Not only mm-hmm. did we not have a foreman, all right, but we didn't have that experience that you've got to have. And I think those things become hard. So really, you don't complain about it now. You just get yourself uh, prepared. You learn. Uh, you apply. Uh, and and you can't sit back and say, wow, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. You just get ready to do it again. Did you find yourself thinking about anything differently about your coaching style or about who you were as a coach this time around, leaving Georgia versus leaving Indiana? Uh, oh, definitely. Staffing. Okay. No, staffing is a huge thing. And and I have a lot of different views on staffing right now. And mm-hmm. I think, um, no, because it's all different now, right? It's it's all different because when I left, in, left Indiana, you mm-hmm. know, the, the transfer had to sit out and the grad transfer could mm-hmm. And there wasn't NIL money. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, when I took this job at Georgia, the, the FBI investigation or the FBI thing started in a September that I was out mm-hmm. and in late September, I guess it was of, of when I was out that year in 17. And I'd have never thought four years in that there'd still be so many teams and programs that nothing had happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So you really don't think you're coming into a league with the things that have happened and it's going to stay, uh, without some ramifications and there really wasn't. So like things were different and then you've got all that. You've got the, the, um, the transfer portal kicks mm-hmm. in NIL kicks in and really, we never really got to recruit to the NIL, right? We never got to recruit to it. And we really didn't have much opportunity with it this past year here at Georgia, but we didn't get to recruit to it. And again, we missed out on some really good opportunities of recruiting, of being able to get people to your campus, sit with them, show them the film. But most importantly, not not only them get to know you mm-hmm. and see what you have, but you get to know them mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a better way. It, it's really hard on Zoom. It's really hard on video. And I love video, and the Zooms were fine, and I love studying video, but it's really, really hard. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to build your team through the portal. It's, 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 a, it's a lot better when you can add from the portal. And when you can add from recruiting and you can get some type of consistency, you're never going to get the consistency that you had. Mm-hmm. You can get it in certain areas. So me leaving Indiana, me leaving Georgia, it's like two different stratospheres. Yeah. But as far as time frame on, on where college basketball is at. But it goes back to what I said a bit ago. It, it comes down to staffing and then having people that, 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 that understand what you're trying to get across to them to win. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if my coaching style would change as much as maybe, you know, who I would recruit, but certainly who I would hire. Has your offense has your offense and your offensive identity changed a lot over over the recent years? Or do you do it based on like kinda like I was I talked to a lot of football coaches and we talk about installs and what they can do with their talent and high school is especially interesting because you're at the mercy of who lives in your area most sure. of the time. So a lot of times you're throwing installs and what you want to run, you can't run just because you don't have the players and you can't do that. But with you, were you able to kind of always get the kind of scheme and the kind of coaching style that you wanted to put out on the floor year over year? Or did COVID kind of limit what you were able to do to the portal and not knowing who was going to be there? Did that kind of change who you you were as a coach on the sidelines in the last couple of years? Well, it didn't change what I wanted to do. It changed Mm. the efficiency. My nine Mm. years at Indiana, even with three complete rebuild years, over nine years, we still shot 38.6 from three. Mm-hmm. And over that nine-year period of time, we led the power conferences. That we had teams shooting. We had one team, I think, at uh, Indiana. I think one of my teams shot forty-five percent, but we had different teams shoot forty-two percent from three. Mm-hmm. You know, we had really good spacing, but again, we had guys that grew with the program. We would add grad transfers and recruits to it, but you still had some continuity. So that mm-hmm. uh, the spacing of understanding we're playing with the three NBA three-point line. We're going to cut a lot out of the corners. There's going to be a lot of read in reaction to the ball on how mm-hmm. you cut. That gets harder when you're building a new team because because guys get brought up in the game a different way, and it takes time for them to learn that. Mm-hmm. So we were never as efficient. I, I, I uh, um, It hits me every day that we did, literally every day, we did not shoot the three here as well as I thought we would shoot it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we just did. And some of it was the spacing. Some of it was the making. Some of it was the selection. Um, and, and again, the way we wanted to play with the speed. And we played fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of possessions. Uh, we scored points. So mm-hmm. we did all that. 
You know, other than this year, we were really good offensive rebounding the ball. This year, we weren't good at all with that. But we never got the percentages to where it, where it needed to be. I'm not sure we shot over 33% in either of the four, any of the four years. And that, hmm. to me, is a big thing. And, and because shot making makes you much better on defense, right? Mm-hmm. It makes the transition better. It makes the mindset better. And so I don't think we ever had it the offensive spacing and movement and fluidity mm-hmm. that we needed. And and we had it some when Anthony Edwards was here, some, but this past year our fluidity wasn't good at all. And and we weren't nearly as as good at quick ball movement, getting the ball reversed. I think offense comes down to three big things. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to number one, how much can you reverse the ball? Mm-hmm. Number two, how many, how many uh, two-on-ones can you create inside of the possession, right? And how much you can make X4 and X5 have to help. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way they're going to help is if you've got really good penetration and you've got good three-point shooting. And and we just didn't have as much of that. Mm-hmm. So so that that's that's what we've got to continue to make sure as we go back that that we that if we're going to play that way, we've got to make sure we have those guys. Is there one coach or one uh, other team that you've watched over the last couple of years uh, when you're like, that, this is what I want to do. You're putting it on the board. You're like, this is what I'm looking for, kind of like what you've just spoken to there. Well, no, I want my teams like we were at Indiana. You know, my yeah. teams at Marquette could make threes, but we had, a, we had guys that could really, really drive the ball. We had interchangeable mm-hmm. guys at, at Marquette. You know, at one time I had Wes Matthews, Jerome McNeil, Dominique J, or Jerome McNeil, Dominique James and Lazar Hayward are coming off mm-hmm. the bench. I had two guys named Maurice Acker and David Kubiak. Mm-hmm. You know, really good interchangeable guys. Uh, early on at Marquette, we had Travis Steiner. We had yeah. Dwayne Wade. We had we had guys like that. At, at, at Indiana, we had numerous guards, but we also had really good forwards. So we could really move the ball. And then starting with Cody Zeller, we had guys going into the NBA every, every, year, every year, every other year that were frontline guys. Mm-hmm. So to me... Um, I wanted my teams like that, right? The team that I had in 15, 16 that won a Big Ten championship that had tremendous ball movement. We just didn't have it as good instinctively here. But what I think, uh, uh, always like the way Villanova plays. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, John Calipari's teams have not shot the three as well, but they've mm-hmm. also got also uh, always have really good spacing. I thought Nate Oates ran really good offense, had a lot of interchangeable guards. And, mm-hmm. and, and guys that could make plays, certainly Eric Musselman with what he's done. Um, and those are just guys that come to mind uh, that we've played against. You know, Villanova mm-hmm. was a little bit different. Um, we didn't play against them. But I like the I like the ball movement of a lot of teams. But, like, those are the ones that could really, really mix and match it. My favorite team this past year, and it, it, it's no shock that they won the championship because they could play so many different ways on any given night was Kansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could, they could, I mean, they had guys coming off the bench um, that would start basically for anybody else. Right. I mean, and mm-hmm. they just would have, and, and they never came in the game and acted like that. They came in the game and they added to it. And, and I think when you've got good veterans with good young players and guys that have been through the program, they add value to one another. They don't try to impede the progress of one another. Do you think, uh, I was talking to Jay Bills about this a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't considered this, but with NIL, do you think we're going to see uh, an increase in graduation rates? Do you think you're going to see more kids stay and stay within a program and finish out their four years? Because um, I remember I was listening to Bucky Brooks on the Move the Sticks podcast the other day, and he was talking to coaches and something that he had heard and he thought about and he brought up. And I, this was always like what you were talking about with grad transfers, where you like you don't want to build an entire team through the portal. You want to add through the portal. And grad transfers were a great way of doing that. It's like you get your degree, you find a path that you can graduate in three years, and then you finish out somewhere else if that's what you want to do, if you're not going to go to the NBA, that sort of thing. Now the game's changed. You uh, there's just so much more fluidity. This is just how the, how these coaches are having to deal with this, and it's just a lot of pressure, and it's a lot of it's a lot going on there. And I just I wonder, will you do you think we're going to see more of that? We're going to see guys stay at universities longer or stay in college longer, just because if the money's close or the opportunity's there, that we actually will see an increase in graduation rate. And we will see kids staying in school longer than they may have previously. I really don't. Uh, now, graduation mm. rate as far as guys graduating, mm. okay, yes, maybe. Right, okay. graduating from your school, no. I think that ship has sailed. I think, I think the graduation rates 
the retention rates, all those kind of things, that, that's all changed now because you, you're going to hope that players, because if they're going to go into the portal, mm. because of the NIL money that's available, that they will stay in that school and graduate. I think right now you've got an influx of, of bigger guys because there's not as much, there's not as much uh, need for the big center right mm. now that's going to get drafted into the NBA. Um, NIL money. All right. Is there. Right. So I think you're seeing some guys stay that, well, you know, I'd rather stay in college right now and finish this out and I could build my legacy and do these type of things mm. rather than try to take a two way in the NBA and, and be in the G League for the next two years. I, mm. I get that part. And I think there's some some good business sense to that. I think anytime you're having people make business decisions, there's going to be risk reward to it. There's going to be success and failure to it. And I don't think any of that's going to change. I do think the 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 business decision aspect. Uh, is going to play into it more and more. I really mm. do, where guys are going to look at it that way. But I don't think the portal is going to slow down. I think the people that are predicting the portal is going to slow down are not paying attention to it. Do you think I that's think the hardest? Too easy. Do you think that's the but, hardest thing for current coaches to deal with now, more so than NIL or anything else? Is just the portal. Um, in the immediate, but mm. what will happen with the NIL? And unless you have everybody making something mm -hmm. right and it, and it's not as much the jealousy that will get created. Everybody talks about what well, we got to be able to control our locker room. It's not always going to be the players. It's going to be the people around the players, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be those people because they're going to be able to keep score, right? Because people are not going to be quiet about what they're making. Huh. Right. And, Oh, there's no question. There's no question on that. And, and, and I think anybody that thinks differently is not paying attention to this. And, there's going to be jealousies that get created. I mean, it, it happens now when players think that they should play more, get more shots, uh, maybe in football, you know, be a target more uh, mm. as a receiver, get more carries as a running back, you know, uh, get more snaps as a, as a defensive player, you know, whatever it is. And, and I think um, that's not going to change. That's not going to change. I think more than ever, there are more voices – that are a part of college sports that have some say so, right? Not just mm -hmm. voices that are nameless, faceless voices, but you have more and more agents coming in. You've got more and more coaches and mentors that are going to feel like they have more of a stake with the families mm -hmm. and with the player. And I think the other big part of it is you're going to have more and more donors that are going to have uh, more of a stake in this because they're participating in the NIL, right? Mm -hmm. They're participating in that. They're participating in the collectives. They're participating in 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 signing somebody to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we think it's this kumbaya, everything's going to go great. No, it's not. There's going to be way more voices. And again, I this is not a negative part of players making money. I'm not negative about that at all. I mean, that's. Mm -hmm. I think it's good. I actually think it's a very good thing. I mean, uh, I was embarrassed last year how little I thought our players were getting from the NIL at the University of Georgia, and I think it'll be a lot different now because the collective has been created. Mm -hmm. uh, there. And I hope it is. It should be right. It should be that way. But when you're dealing with the things that you're dealing with in high major sports like this, and you know what you're dealing with, uh, potentially with the other schools where NIL is not involved. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. And, and th that's the real life part of this. So I want to see players make money, but, but I think what's happening is there's going to be more and more voices. And if you are not, if, if you don't have leadership around you, that is strong, aligned, together, experienced, um, can negate negativity, can negate people being upset. Um, because remember now this, you know, the more the money goes into the collectives and the more the, the, the money goes into the NILs and things of that nature, potentially you're running into other parts of the university that are going to be shortchanged. Buildings. Mm -hmm. Right. Educational thing. You know, I don't mean the education, but I mean, like building resources for buildings, money for buildings, mm -hmm. for for structure, you know, for the infrastructure of it. There's going to be more and more pressure on because not nobody really knows. Nobody has a template on how to deal with this. Right. Mm -hmm. So we all have to learn and go through it together. Well, that's not how the world works. There's too many yeah. people that are going to um, they're not going to want to be attached. Right. When things don't go right. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be harder. You're going to see a lot more 
unfortunately, and this is the unfortunate part of this, you're going to see more and more coaching changes. There's mm. going to be administrative changes. Those things are coming. And I think that's hard. And that's why I hope that at some point in time, there can be something that, that becomes more universal for everybody. Now, I don't have the answer to what that is, mm. but it's, it's going to get harder. It's, it's going to get harder. The, the human dynamic is going to kick into this. You know, when, when people are making this amount of money and these people aren't, those are going to get hard. They're going to get hard because it's going to get hard with the people around them. And it sounds like, though, you still want to get back into it. You still want to get another. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I love coaching. I, I say this to my friends all the time, mm. right? The coaching profession can be really, really difficult, right? It can be a real challenge. You got to deal with a lot of stuff, mm. okay? But you better love coaching, right? And more than ever, right? It's mm. just it's just different things that you have to deal with. I mean, okay, you, you've always had to deal with people that were cutting corners in recruiting. I mean, that mm. that's not like that just kind of showed up. I mean, that, that's been there forever, right? So you've always had to deal with that. You've always had to deal with transferring. You always had to deal with unhappiness. You've always had to deal with that. So it's just another thing that you deal with, but you better love coaching. Like if you mm. don't love making players better, if you don't love studying the film, if you don't love preparing for games, if you don't love the competition, well, then you can't do it. But you could really say that about any business that you're in because mm. there's going to be pitfalls to it. But the love and the passion that you have for it has got to override whatever you could construe as a negative. Mm. So, no, I love I love basketball. I love coaching. And and um, um, I don't know what that means, right? Mm. But I know that I love it. But I also know that I'm not sitting here uh, overly anxious like I got to take a job. Because mm. more than ever, especially when you go through things that I've gone through, you better really make sure you're getting into the right situations with the right people, with the right infrastructure. And again, what's happened is NIL and the portal have kind of changed more of that. They, they, they've kind of really opened your eyes to more. What's the model we're looking for as we move down the road? It's not just business as usual, so don't treat your decision-making that way. Why do you think the SEC has gotten so much better at basketball as a conference the last couple of years it's kind of wild to just see um you're looking at the early top 25 for next season and there's just sec teams galore and you look at where the the five stars and the high high-end four stars are going a lot more kids are going into sec schools and it used to just be acc 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 and now it seems like the sec has really really embraced college basketball and that so many programs are in good shape and are investing more and are get putting more eyeballs. And you you look at just the arenas and the environments all across the board that it's just, it's kind of amazing just uh, in my lifetime seeing this, this change um, in how the SEC treats college basketball. Have you, is that something you noticed? And what, why do you think that is? Well, since I've been in it, it's been really good, but they mm -hmm. were on a really big trajectory. You know, when I got into the league four years ago and I think you've got really good coaches and the majority have really figured out how to coach in the landscape. And the landscape obviously is changing a little bit with now where NIL is here 24-7 and, and the portal is here 24-7. But, but they understand what it takes to be successful in modern day a high-level college sports. And you could say the same about football. They understand what that takes. There's really really good understanding of modern day. I don't think it has anything to do with the new wave of coaches or any of those type of things. I think it's people that understand, hey, this is where the game is at. Mm. This is where the NCAA is at. This is what you can do. And let's go, right? And I think that's what it is. But there's some really, really, really good basketball coaches uh, in the league. And I think because there's so many uh, really good players in the Southern region, right? Mm. That's a big part of it, but there's very few SEC programs that can't recruit nationally if they don't want to. And I think that's a big thing. And and I think, again, I think the power of football in the SEC mm -hmm. and the power in the fo of football in the Big Ten are huge. And I, and I saw this, you know, Indiana was very much a basketball school. Kevin Wilson started to get it going. Mm. in football and then tom allen took over after that but i have a brother-in-law obviously that's at michigan you see the power mm. of big 10 football i grew up in that era so you area so you see the power of it the sec is unlike anything i've ever seen i mean mm. the 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 24 7 mentality of sec and i think that's just it's all over the country it's on people's minds 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the success of football in this league doesn't hurt basketball at all because the SEC is constantly inside of the landscape and inside of people's thought processes and on television. And and I, I think that's a bit that's why you have the television contracts the way that they are. That's why you have the television contracts the way are the way they are in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have that, and then what you have is, is you have some really good academic schools in this league, some very underrated academic schools in this league. I, I think that's a big selling point too. But I think it's the fact that there's really good coaches, really good competition. A lot of pros have come out of it. But the SEC is more of a lifestyle than it's ever been because of what goes on with football. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Um, I, I'm learning a lot, Coach. I appreciate you doing this today. Um, yep. What about um, three-point shooting? We've talked about that a little bit. But across the board this year, this was something we saw in the NBA uh, especially early on was just foul, foul calls were down. Like uh, guys were able to play a lot more defense. They were uh, me being a Hawks guy, seeing how teams defended Trey was very different and how Trey was officiated this year was very different than how he was officiated last year. And you look at that across the board and you, I, I was wondering from you just being on the inside and you talked about Georgia's three point percentage just being down a little bit from three and not where you wanted them to be. Did you notice that across the board that maybe games were being called differently? Fouls were, uh, you weren't guys who were getting certain calls last year. were not getting them this year. Did What would you, if someone asked you, hey, why was three-point shooting down this past year in college basketball? What would you say? As a general statement, I would say, I would say, number one, it's technique of the shot. Hmm. I would say, I, 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 a lot of, I, I have a saying back here that I say, you didn't take a bad shot. You took a good shot badly, <laughs> which means this. Mm-hmm. You didn't get your footwork right. Mm-hmm. You didn't hold your follow through. You faded early. You weren't ready to shoot when you caught it. You took a challenge shot rather than spacing away. I think that's one reason that we not only use the NBA three-point line, mm-hmm. but after seeing Brett Brown uh, use it with Philadelphia, uh, mm-hmm. right after I was out at Indiana, uh, I knew I was going to coach with a four-point line. We have a 33-foot-8 uh, four-point line that we huh. use for spacing, right? And and because uh, the game is played up there. And I think yeah. it takes time for guys to, to get up there. I think, I think, you know, Chase, I think guys being ready to shoot mm. is one of the greatest problems going in three-point shooting. Mm. And I think when you're not ready to shoot, it's really, really hard to have your feet right. It's really hard to be on balance. And it's really hard to hold your follow-through mm. because mm. being ready to shoot affects everything about your shot. And a lot of times the follow through and how you land Mm -hmm. is so important. And when you're not ready to shoot and when you're not down, you're going to shoot the ball on the way down rather than on the way up. And I think that's a big part of it. But I'll tell you, the other thing is this crisp on time, on target passing. Hmm. I think, I think the passing Pete Carell had a great line. Okay. The quality of the pass leads to the quality of the shot. And I think that the passing uh, can be atrocious at times or not as good as it needs to be. I shouldn't say atrocious, but not as good as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when guys aren't ready to shoot, they still take the shot. Mm-hmm. And um, um, game reps are so important, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and guys, guys work out too much taking shots that they wouldn't take in the game based on how ready to shoot it they are, based on shooting a jump shot. I, mean, I could talk forever about that, but I think it's technique. Hmm. Uh, some of it's spacing. Um, some of it is the ball movement. Uh, some of it is the shot selection. I think there's things that fall under the umbrella, but to me, the top of the umbrella is being ready to shoot the ball. What's the hardest thing that you found coaching, uh, whether it was at Georgia, Indiana, Marquette? What is the hardest thing for kids to pick up? Offensively spacing. Okay. Defensively guarding the ball uh universally having an open mind to change Hmm. the best players i've had okay their stubbornness didn't get in the way of their improvement Hmm. and i think right now i mean there are way way too many people they're not committed to consistency right Hmm. well before you can become consistent you've got to understand what you need to be consistent at Mm -hmm. and they might be committed to doing what they want to do but it's not consistently working Right. And a commitment to consistency means, okay, like I say to players, you know, we're not going to take something from you without giving you something better. Mm. We're not going to take some part of your game and say, don't do that without giving you something better. And most of the times when you can't do it, we're not going to say no, we're going to say not yet. 
Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to shooting the ball. Like you're not ready to do that yet. So let's work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you coach and you work with a guy on it, but you have no intention of ever letting him get good enough to do that in the game. I mean, that's malpractice. You're cheating the guy, right? And and he doesn't even know it, right? But the practice, hey, yeah, we're going to work on your three. We're going to work on your three. But like you never find an element for them to work on that in the game. Now, here's the, the two part. Mm-hmm. You've got to be good enough to do that. Well, you're only going to be good enough to do that if you put them in situations to really learn it and apply it in practice. And and I think what happens is it's really hard when you have a vision for a player, which is what I think all coaches have to have for every player. When you have a vision for the player and that player's stubbornness or unwillingness to grow and learn and change, and I'm seeing it more and more, Chase. I'm seeing it mm. more and more all the time, all right? And that's why the portal's really, really a challenge because especially the first two years up until this this past fall where you couldn't get kids in, you know, mm. for official visits and things of that nature and go see them, you know, till last summer. Again, it, it's getting to know what is this person really like? How do they mm. learn? How willing are they to learn? And and guys start thinking that what worked for them somewhere else is going to work for them in the next place. No, it's a constant game of improvement. We've got $716 million so far of NBA earned money over my time at Marquette, uh, Indiana, and Georgia. And the majority of those guys, mm. okay, are guys that had a growth mindset, guys that really wanted to learn and guys that applied. And the majority of those guys were guys that would be in the gym to work on it mm. and, and not just when they were required, but because it drove them in such a high level. And I could talk about that forever, but I think someone's mindset is the greatest detriment their, their ability to want to change, mm-hmm. their desire to change, okay, and thinking that they have to change is the, is, is, is the hardest thing to get people to understand. Are you at all surprised to see Anthony Edwards and just what he did this year and his breakout at all? Do you see this coming? No. Well, no, I'm not surprised because mm-hmm. I know his work ethic. When we got him, people forget that he came a year early, right? He mm-hmm. was the number one player in the country a year ahead of time. So he'd been the number one junior when he reclassified – he was still the number one senior, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had a lot to learn. He had a lot to learn. There was got there had to be an accountability uh, to him, all right, and 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 to what he had to gain, right, mm-hmm. and to the accountability that he had to be held to. But he also had a lot of learning to do, and it took him about three weeks inside of the summer to realize, like, this guy's not playing around. You know, he's gonna they're gonna make me learn, mm-hmm. right? Because he's pretty good, right? But we wanted to take his game. And not only get it ready for us, but get it ready for the next level. But but he made a big jump in the mm-hmm. sense of from a high school junior to a college freshman that everybody had their eyes on. Mm-hmm. So to me, I knew when we had him inside of that year because he made a lot of growth. And it didn't always play out on the court, right? But he made a lot of growth. He learned a lot about spacing, shot selection. And we didn't, we didn't curb all that. There's no doubt about that. He learned a lot about work. Not he always worked on his own. Like I've never coached a guy that was in the gym more after games. All right, working on mm-hmm. his game than this guy was. Anthony huh. at eight. Oh, unbelievable! Un- and I think he still does it. But yeah, unbelievable. I mean, it, we could win, and he'd go in that gym and work <laughs> out after the game. But he had to learn how to play in small groups. And one of the things that young players really struggle with when they come in is, especially if they've been some of the better players. That's why you got to recruit programs more than you recruit teams recruiting high school programs. I think it's the same with the portal. You got to recruit programs now because there's got to be some learning that they've done to make them better. And, and when you recruit program guys, they have an understanding of how hard they have to work in practice. And mm-hmm. so, because right now this world is raised so much on individual workouts, so much on being with their trainer and there's nothing wrong with that. There's it, that's fine, right? It's absolutely fine. Some of my, Closest friends are trainers, and some of the people I respect most in basketball are trainers. Mm-hmm. But, okay, you've got to be able to play in small groups, right? You've got to be able to play in your one-on-one setting with a, with another instructor. You've got to be able to play with three other people, five other people, maybe seven other people inside of a group setting. And you've got to be able to play in the team setting, right? Mm-hmm. The five-on-five setting, you know, full team setting. And what you have to teach players is they don't get to shortcut any of it. They don't get to shortcut their individual part. They don't get to shortcut their small group, and they don't get to shortcut the team. And the more talented you are a lot of times, the less you understand those aspects. And he had to learn all that. But my biggest thing was, and I would say this to every team I talked to, his next two years, 
because he was only going to be, he's only 20, he's not even 21, yeah. right? His next two years after he left us were going to be absolutely crucial, all right? Because if he didn't get into a development program mm-hmm. that held him accountable, if they didn't spend, and I mean the head coach, main assistants, absolutely spending time with him, helping make him better, that that he could he could stagnate. Mm. But if he got into a development program, he was going to take off. And there were certain teams that I wanted no part of him going to, right? Mm. And I said it, but I and I and I wouldn't now. But like you wanted him to be in a development program, and I think yeah. that's exactly what he's gotten in Minnesota. Yeah, it's he's so much fun to watch, and he just seems like such a likable kid. Like he's just so fun. Like like you said, he's a great hard worker, but he's just a fun kid. Um, well, he is who he is. He, he's yeah. he's there's no false airs, right? <laughs> there's he's not trying to put on. Now he'll put on a show. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to put on an act. Right, there's a big difference. Yeah, he can uh-huh. put on a show, but he's not an actor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he's getting ready to play in that movie with Adam Sandler, so I guess he is an actor. <laughs> yeah, there's no act to him, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, that's who he is, and what he's got that 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 he's got a level of empathy mm-hmm. as a human being. Uh, he loves his teammates. Hmm. Now, now he don't love you if you don't work hard and if you try to big time him and you act privileged. Now he mm-hmm. doesn't players don't want to be around other guys that act privileged, mm. but, but like he loves his teammates and, and he is a great teammate, great teammate. One of the best I've ever coached. And he was only 18 when he was there, but I'm not shocked that he's doing it. And it's not going to shock me that, that, that what I want to see happen. And he knows it. And I've said it, said it to people in Minnesota. I, I'd love to see him be on that all defensive team as early as he can possibly be. I was always hoping he'd be, uh, the earliest of all my guys, Wade, ma- Wade made it when he was 23. I think it was mm-hmm. Victor at 26. You know, I'd love to see Anthony make that all defensive team is, is the youngest. And I think he's fully capable of doing that. Absolutely. Uh, last basketball thing. Then I want to throw a couple of non-basketball things at you. Um, so obviously I'm a Tennessee guy. Got Peyton sure. right here behind me. I'm a big uh, Tennessee fan. We could talk about them for a long time. I, I think Rick Barnes is, I should have mentioned him earlier. Uh, with what I was talking about because he's had so many different teams, right? Yep. He's got teams with Schofield and, and Grant Williams and those guys, and they're big and they're strong and they're playing inside the three-point line. And now he's morphed it out to be past the three-point line. I mean, he's just such a good coach. Rick Barnes belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. And and that needs to get drummed up by people that have a lot more clout than me. Yeah. But but he's that good. And, and he, he wins everywhere that he's at. And he's like any other coach. They probably will love him a lot more after they leave him <laughs> right? when they realize how right he was. But I'm sure he's got a whole bunch of players that love him over a period of time that he's coached that that would come back to him and, and thank him for how hard and how demanding he was on them. I would agree. And it seems like it, just going, like you mentioned with Admiral and uh, Grant, like the three-star guys and then progressing up to the five stars. And now suddenly you have six, five stars in a couple of years span and, it's just kids trust him and uh, sure. trust this program and the results speak for themselves. I mean, this team was so, much, so great. But the reason I brought up Tennessee was just because um, this season, obviously going undefeated at home, like this was a really great Tennessee basketball team. And I'm a process over results kind of guy. That's how I'll always be when I'm looking at games and just what are we doing? Like ultimately, yeah, you championship are, like it would be great. But by and large, I'm just looking for progress. I'm looking to see that we're doing things the right way. We're playing with the style like hey, I believe in where we're going. This works. If it, if it works out in the end, great. If not, hey, this makes sense, and this is a good way of playing basketball. You guys really went hard at Tennessee this year. Like You played Tennessee better than most SEC teams did yeah. outside of that uh, insane situation in Lexington where Tennessee just got bombed to death early and that game was over. But um, in terms of the, the Tennessee-Georgia game, what, what were you able to do? Why do you think uh, you guys played uh, Tennessee so well? Well, first off... I believed we were going to win the game, right? And, uh-huh. and um, we should have beat Auburn. I thought so, right? too. I thought yeah, you were going to beat us, too. Auburn, and if, if – I, I, again, you didn't ask the question, but I've never in 22 years as a head coach been in a situation where three guys uh, don't make some call at the end of the game in that Auburn game. At mm-hmm. least call block. It was a charge, but call block. But they didn't. But <clears throat> I think the, the biggest thing – to me, we had the most respect – there's always somebody on the floor that everybody needs there to be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was Viscovi for Tennessee in my mm-hmm. mind. Somebody else. It's not about who the leading score is. Um, it's not about, I, I always felt that way about Duncan Robinson when he mm-hmm. was at Michigan. 
right? He was the guy they needed on the floor. And then he became Duncan Robinson, prolific $90 million guy in the <laughs> NBA, right? But they needed him, right? Because the offense and the defense. And to me, that was Viscovi. And, and yeah. because not only the shots that he made, but the way that he moved the ball. And, uh, and moving uh, off ball. Yeah, I think you always have to find those guys. And what we were going to do is we were going to make it really as challenging as we could on him, mm-hmm. right? Not just let him catch and pick us apart with his shooting and with his passing. I think he's good. I think he's a pro. Mm-hmm. And I hope he comes back for a year because mm-hmm. then I think he's got a real opportunity. But but um, that was the thing to me, you know, and, and keep the court spaced. You know, there were some other things, but not just have a real focus on not letting Vescovi come down and play to his comfort level. Mm-hmm. In the second half, when we beat Alabama, we didn't, Jay, didn't let Jaden Shackelford play to his comfort level. We didn't let him make easy catches. And I think you have to be able to do that. And you have to find that person. It, you, you have to know who the main scorers are, obviously, and how they get their points, all that. But who do they really need to win? Mm-hmm. And then the more that you can disrupt them, the better you can be. I like it. Uh, Coach, you get your rare day off. You get to do whatever. You don't have to watch any basketball. I know you love it. I know you love it, but you get your rare day off. You get to do whatever. What are you doing? Um, Be something with my family. Be something with the kids. It used to be my son playing baseball. Mm-hmm. I love that. He was really good at that. And then he gave that up to, to coach. Uh, it'd be something with him or, or one of my daughters. I'm a 27-year-old. I have a 17-year-old. Um, but other than that, probably – Probably some other sport, you know, baseball mm. or football. I'd want to be outside. I'd want to run right on that day. Right? Okay. Are you still running I'd, actively? I'd go see a baseball game or go see uh, a football practice or a football game, something like that. But I'd want my family to be there. I like that. Um, are you still an active runner? I'm a runner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I run and uh, I try to run at least when I'm good four to five times a week, four times as much as I possibly can. I try to work out at least three days a week. Mm-hmm. you know where it's significant but also like i'm starting to stretch more you know starting yeah. to try to do a good job of that but yeah i'm 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 uh i'm not as consistent as i want to be like i couldn't play for me with the consistency that i'd want out of somebody mm-hmm. but at least i'm trying so i'm trying to get better there you go i like that um what would be a funny way of uh your family describing you that would catch a lot of people by surprise even former players fans what about you like a quirk or something that uh, your family knows pretty well that uh would surprise some folks well it was surprise mm-hmm. I don't, i'm too loud i know that <laughs> um um i can sleep just about anywhere okay plane I, I, doesn't I, I matter i fall asleep if i need to all right uh, I, I, I don't have to be, I can, I can, I, I can definitely, I can fall asleep in a chair. I, can, mm. I, can, I don't need some set time. Uh, okay. Um, I would think that they would say that I'm completely unaware to how loud I am when I have a headset in. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I would think that would be so hmm. probably that there's probably others. Uh, do you I golf? Like do you golf or fish at all? I'm sorry. Do you golf or fish at all? No, I'd like to fish. I don't golf. We live on a golf course, but I don't, I haven't, I have, but I, mm. I don't golf. Um, I'd like to fish. We're moving back to Florida. I think I'm going to get into that. I'm going to try to find somebody to get me into that. There you go. I'm right here. If you need any tips, coach, just text me. I got you. Fishing is the writer podcast or whatever. It's the the perfect therapy where you get away and you can clear your head and plan. You, I get most of my best ideas and, uh, just you, it, there's just the, the stress reliever that it comes with is just, uh, it's, it's hard to find that and running for me. Are, are yeah. Like, I, I'm with the running on that. I'd like yeah. to do that with the fishing though. My last fishing experience in Colorado at a, at a, at a fish farm was fly mm. fishing. Mm. It was so bad. I'm still scarred. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't catch a fish in five hours, four and a half hours, whatever it was. I was like scarred. So I probably got to get back to it. Hey, pra- like you said, practice. It's getting the reps in, coach. You got to stay the- away from fly fishing, but I'll put the worm on there. Okay. I'll, I like I'll, I'll, I'll try that. Um, we'll end on this. So the Harbaugh's, as everyone knows, are your brother-in-laws. And I have to ask, who's more competitive between the three of you guys? Is it you? Is it Jim or is it John? It's my wife, Joni. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to go with her. I'm oh, wow. Her. Yeah, no question. No, those guys competitively 
are different than me, right? Mm. And and the Jim Jim is a competitor at everything. You know, mm. I'm not. John is a competitor at most things, but but not everything. Uh, I'm not a competitor at everything. I, I don't have to win everything. My wife is like Jim. My wife is because uh, she's got all the attributes of all of them, right? Yeah. She's, got, she's got the attributes of of uh, Jim and John. So she's the she'd be my she'd be the PS on that. She's the most competitive of all of them. So she's dominating game night, checkers, chess, whatever. Well, she's gonna fight now. Oh yeah, she's gonna fight now. She's quick witted, <laughs> mm-hmm. quick on her feet. I wish I had her gift of reading people. I'd be uh-huh. better off. <laughs> She reads people extremely well. Um, I'd be way better off if I, if I if I had that gift or listened to her more. But but uh, she's really really competitive. Uh, wants to win. And I think a lot of it's you know it comes from not only her mom and dad but be living in that house all those years. There you go, Coach Green. How do the good folks keep up with you and support you going forward? Um, this has just been an absolute delight. I greatly appreciate you making the time. But uh, how do the good folks uh, support you and keep up with you going forward? Well. You know, I try to I try to social. Media. I think my family would say that they, they, they hate when I do the social media. They don't think I'm very good at that. But <laughs> we have Twitter at Tom Crean. We have uh, Instagram. I'm trying to get uh, the, the Georgia part off the, the part with Instagram. I haven't figured that out yet. But mm-hmm. um, I think that part and then I'll just decide what's going to happen. You know, whether it's going to be television this year and, and maybe the next year, you know, whatever it's going to be. So, like, I'm not in a. Uh, I'm in a rush to learn and I don't like being idle. Mm. I'm, I'm not in a rush to do something I'm not going to be happy doing. So I think uh, just those kind of parts of it in my social media, a lot of times is just off the top of my head. So, I mean, that's probably at Tom Crean's probably the best way for people to see that. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for making the time. Good luck to you this summer and moving forward. I wish you nothing but the best and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Thank you. You do a great job and you got a great future. So thank you very much. Thank you, coach. All right. That'll do it for uh, part one, hour one, whichever you want to call it. I should probably just call it hour one uh, here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, Tom Crean, former former University of Georgia and Indiana University and Marquette University head basketball coach Tom Crean. Uh, I enjoyed uh, our interview and being able to talk about a multitude of different things in sports. And he was just so open and uh, forthcoming and just great. Uh, I learned a lot. And I think uh, if you guys tune into this hour of the program you did as well so once again thank you to tom crean for making the time here on the chase thomas podcast uh hour two coming up in just one second this is going to be a three-hour program today uh jam-packed show for you guys but uh stick around uh, for hour two coming up on this feed uh you can check it out uh next episode uh here on the chase thomas podcast and apple podcast spotify or however you get your podcast uh, check us out on YouTube if you would like to watch these interviews and watch the show that way. YouTube.com, the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can always email us at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, HQ, Chase Thomas Podcast.com. All right. Uh, hour two coming up in just one second. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.